And what a beautiful sunshiny day it is. Just <laughs> Malachi chapter 4. And I want to read verses 2 and 3. And I've taught a similar message before. And as I was going, preparing for this Sunday, I just thought, you know, it's just so fitting at this time that I just want to share it again, or these concepts again. Malachi chapter 4, verses 2 and 3 says, But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And you shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I will do this, saith the Lord of hosts. This last week we have been celebrating the holiest week in the Christian faith. You know, a lot of times it seems people put more to do on Christmas because that's when the Messiah came. But really, in the Christian faith, what we call Easter or the Resurrection Sunday has got to be the holiest time. This is the time where Jesus was revealed as the Son of God. This is the time that we're celebrating now where Jesus showed himself of having power over death, hell, and the grave. This is the time where he revealed himself to his followers as the one that had the ability to prepare a place in his father's house. To prepare a place so that we could be with him. You know, I've read many different things about Easter at this time. And one of the things, even on John chapter, was it 14? 1 to 4? Where he talks about in my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. One of the things that that speaks about is even the love relationship that he had with those that were going to follow him. You know, where that concept comes from is in the Jewish circle when a young man had decided that he was going to marry a certain woman. When everything had been agreed and both sets of parents had been, okay, this is okay. One of the things that the young man would do, he says, I will go make a house ready for us. I will go build a house. I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, you may be also. So there's an intimacy that speaks about when Jesus speaks to his disciples and says, I'm coming back for you. This wasn't just so that we could all be in the same general area. This speaks about the intimacy that even a young man would have with his bride. I go to prepare a place for you. Can you imagine Jesus has been spending 2,000 years preparing a place for you? What do you think that place is going to look like? What do you think that place is going to be where he gets to express his love? Because the other thing that happened, of course, the young man would overextend himself to build this house for his bride, that she would know the love that he had for him, or she had for her, (laughs) that he would know how much he cared and how much value he placed upon her happiness, that he would try and make sure that her every need would be met. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. So he left, but he's coming back. When that young man left before he went to prepare a place, he says, I will come back and bring you to myself. Jesus says, I'm getting a place ready. Then I'm coming back to get you. That's what we're celebrating today. The holiest week of the Christian faith. Last week I talked at the beginning of this week on Palm Sunday and about the mobs on Palm Sunday. We talked about how there's two different mobs, and you know the one mob was the big fan club. They had no substance. They disappeared a week later. Where were they when he was needed? 
You know, the next week when the other mob started going and they started saying, crucify, crucify, where were all of these that were yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna at that time? See, there's a difference between a lot of Christians. Some do say, well, we're going to follow Jesus, but it only means we're going to follow him as long as things are good. When things get tough, they're nowhere to be found. When things get tough, they've disappeared into the woodwork. When the persecution arises, well, well, we don't have to be fanatics. We can be, you know, we, we serve Jesus in our heart. If you're serving Jesus in your heart, it's going to show up in your life. If there was no such thing as Sunday, would your friends know that you were a Christian? It's showing, it's serving him throughout the week letting it be known. So we talked about the two mobs. You know, the one mob was Billy busy trying to make him king and yelling Hosanna. Why do you think that would be? I mean, my thought would be that the main reason they were trying to make him king was because they had seen the miracles that he did. Can you imagine having your own fish producer in your house? You know, just go down to the marketplace and stop by Jesus' place. Oh, bless you, my child. Here's some bread. Here's some fish. Wouldn't that be nice? See, they saw the miracles. They saw that the storms were stilled. They saw that their Medicare system was paid up. What was there to worry about? Here's Jesus. He heals the sick. He raised the dead. He opened blind eyes. He opened the deaf ears. He causes the lame man to jump and to leap as the heart. What more do we need? Oh, hallelujah, hosanna, hosanna. But a week later, when there's a cost to be a fan, the fans disappear. They're not there anymore. They can't be found. In fact, when Pilate is yelling, you know, is there anybody? Nobody's standing up. When Pilate is saying, I find no wrong in this man. There's nobody saying, well, we knew it. He was innocent. They're busy yelling, crucify! Crucify him! Why? It's not like they moved to a different city. This is the same city. The same city that had the streets full one week earlier, shouting, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest, blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. The very same city. But what has happened now the fan club has shut up. Now there's a cost. Now there's a price to pay. What happens when there becomes a price to pay? Does our faith shine forth? Do we speak just as boldly? I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Or do we at that point say, but Jesus, you didn't do what I wanted. He's not a genie in a bottle. You know, you rub the bottle and say, okay, I got my three wishes. The first one will be for health. The second will be for wealth. He's Lord. He's Lord. So I talked with the different mobs on Palm Sunday and Friday we remembered the crucifixion. Today we celebrate the resurrection. So I would like to discuss today some part of what the empty grave means to us.
I've never been to Jerusalem, but I have read about, I've seen pictures of an empty tomb not too far from the old city of Jerusalem. We've probably all seen the pictures, much the same. So this is probably where the body of Jesus was laid. This is the best that they can feel. They feel this must be the place. Now, according to history, the grave was not always empty. At one time, that grave held a body and it had a huge stone rolled across the entrance so that it would be completely sealed off. After the grave had been sealed off, there was an armed guard placed watch over in front of that grave to protect it. The occupier of this tomb had mentioned that three days in the grave and he was going to rise again. The Roman Empire could not allow that to happen. If this man rose again, that meant that the king of the Jews had come. If this man rose from the dead, that meant that the Messiah was alive. So they said, well, the disciples are going to try and steal his body. We'll put this armed guard on the grave to make sure that nobody breaks in and steals that body. And then the Bible speaks about how you know the angel came and the armed guards fell over and Jesus came out of the grave. And, and so they convinced them to say, well, guess what? Um, we were sleeping. That's the death sentence under the Roman army. You've just asked for the death sentence. Sleeping when you're supposed to be on guard? But they let them get away because they didn't want the truth to come out. So the armed guard was set to watch. The occupier had said in three days he was coming out, he was going to rise again. And the truth is that none of these preparations mattered. They could not stop the law of life. Or they could not stop the law of death from being overcome by the law of life in Christ Jesus that night. And the tomb was emptied. See, the Bible tells that the law of sin and death cannot stand against the law of life. It says the law of life in Christ Jesus overcomes the law of sin and death. And the law of life began to work in that tomb that night. And as the law of life began to work, death lost its hold. So no matter how hard they tried to keep him in that grave, he came out of it. The tomb was empty. Now because life overcame death, we rejoice today because we get to serve a living Savior. Now Christianity is the only religion in the world whose founder, leader, and God is not dead. Every other religion speaks about a prophet, speaks about a man that began a movement, speaks about somebody that ended up dying. Now often their tombs are made very special places. You know, it's, if you go to Mecca, you want to make the trek to Mecca if you're in a certain faith, so you can end up seeing where the leader was buried. And, and all of the different faiths have their holy places where their leaders were. But Christianity has the only place where our leader isn't there anymore. They put him in the ground, but he refused to stay there. He arose and he took the keys of hell, death, and the grave. And then he came back and says, All power has been given unto me. Now you go into all the world and just make disciples. Christianity is the only world religion whose leader, founder, and God is not dead. So the Bible tells us that Jesus, the innocent Son of God, during this last week of the week that we just celebrated, was mocked, tortured, whipped, beaten, nailed to a cross until he gave up the spirit and died. Afterwards, he was laid in this tomb. 
Now, most of us have heard or seen reenactments. We've been taught about the passion of the Christ until we've been hardened too much to the agony that it loses its impact on us. See, we've heard this story of the cross. We've heard this story of what must have all happened. And and we all have ended up getting this nice little Sunday school picture in our mind. You know, sometimes we may even have the picture of the Savior with this sad look on his face. I don't believe that had anything to do with it. In fact, when I read Isaiah, it says his visage was so marred more than any other man. I mean, he, he didn't even recognize him from the pain of what he'd gone through. But we've got this nice little picture, you know, Jesus hanging on the cross with three little drops of blood, wearing a nice little linen loincloth. That had nothing to do with the reality of it. His blood came pouring out of his veins. He didn't have a loincloth. He was hung before the world, stripped naked, and had nothing to trust in. But we've got the picture that we have seen from the paintings or the depictions that other artists have come up with, and it's caused us to become almost immune to the whole story of what happened during that time. A number of years ago, Mel Gibson produced a movie, and it was called The Passion of the Christ. You would have thought this, pic- this picture would have got you know, opposition from the world, but you know, it was Christians that got upset. It's too brutal. <laughs> Pardon me. This was a movie. We serve the one on whom that movie was based. But it's too brutal. It's too gory. We can't watch this. We don't want our children to see it. Then what are you celebrating Christianity for? Because that really is how this started. One man had to go to the cross. He had to endure complete humiliation. He had to die. But see, we've heard the reenactments where the actor always gets up later. We've seen those nice little crosses where when they want to show the, um, the crucifixion, you know, they have that little platform where the guy can stand on. He didn't have the platform. He had a nail driven through his feet to hold him in place. His platform went through his flesh. But we've become so hardened. We've become so immune to the story that has lost its impact on us. We have sanitized the crucifixion in our minds until it just becomes another little Bible story. There was nothing sweet about it. There was nothing little about the crucifixion. After facing the horrors of the events that led up to and including the crucifixion, the Bible teaches us that Jesus went from the cross to to hell itself. Now, you know, we know about the crown of thorns being beaten into his head. We know about the sword piercing his side. We know about the nails through his hands and through his feet. We know about the stripes on his back until the bloody flesh was ripped from his very back. We know about those things, and yet it was only when God turned his back on him that Jesus cried out and he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Until that point, he went as a lamb to the slaughter, dumb. Meaning he didn't speak. It wasn't that he was stupid. He didn't speak. Mute. He went quiet. He knew what he had to do. 
He already had his time in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed and he said to the Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. And he was silent until he hung on the cross. And the weight of sin came on him. The sicknesses, the diseases were placed upon him. The price of our salvation was placed upon him. And when that sin came upon him, a holy father turned his back on him. Everything else he could handle. But he had never been separated from God. He did not know what it was like to not be in communion with the Father Almighty. He took the physical torment. He took the physical punishments. He took the abuse. And then when the sin was placed upon him and the holy righteous God turned his back, he cried out, My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And the Bible records that he cried out, into your hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. At that moment, Jesus experienced the pain of a broken heart. He experienced the pain of separation. The one that he had loved had turned his back on him. And he gave up the ghost. He died. The soldiers came to check because if he wasn't dead, the Jewish people were quite religious, so they didn't like to have dead people hanging around on a Sunday. So they came to check because if he wasn't dead yet, then they'd go ahead and break his legs or something, but they found out he was dead already. See, it was not uncommon for people that were being crucified to hang on that cross for several days, still alive. So they took him off. He's dead. They buried him. Joseph of Arimathea gave him his grave. And they placed our Savior in the ground, his body. But death could only affect the body. His spirit at that moment had to go down to hell. He had to redeem mankind. He was not finished to finish the sacrifice he had to pay the final price he had to pay spiritual death or separation from his father so that he could be the final sacrifice the final price paid for all of mankind god is an infinite god we have sinned against an infinite god To pay the price of sinning against an infinite God, either a finite man is going to have to infinitely burn in hell or an infinite man can make one sacrifice. God chose to send an infinite man to take our place. We can accept his sacrifice and that we don't have to spend eternity in hell. Now, if the account had stopped there, 
we would have lots to rejoice about. But really, that was only the beginning. That was the beginning. That was the start. The greatest part of this piece of history is that the grave could not hold Jesus. The spirit of life overcame the spirit of sin and death. And, the, and Jesus began to stir in that grave and he stepped out of those grave cloths. And he made another sign. He folded the napkin that was around his head. Oh, what's so special about that? In the Jewish culture, when the napkin was folded, it meant he was coming back. Don't touch my plate. (laughs) He folded the napkin and left it laying there. I'm coming back. Don't touch my plate. The stone was rolled away. Our Savior rose from the dead and He is alive. He was, He is, He forever will be alive. His body is not in that tomb because He is alive forevermore. He lives today and He calls all those that will believe in Him into life everlasting. Death has been defeated. The grave has been robbed. Life has conquered death. And death has been swallowed up in life. Heaven and earth rejoice. So the prophet wrote in Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, he says, But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. Well, this morning, if you believe upon the name of Jesus, that empty tomb means that the Son of Righteousness has risen for you. Our Lord arose with healing in his wings. He has provided whatever you need. See, you may come to church this morning hurting. You may have thought that your life was over. Fate had sealed your doom. Your last chance was gone. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning, the fate has not sealed your doom. Your last chance is not over as long as you are breathing. God can and He will work on your behalf. The seal that fate would place on you has been broken by the power of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The dark cloud of hopelessness that surrounds you like a shroud can and will be lifted when the sunshine breaks through. So let the sun, the S-O-N of God, shine upon you and you're going to find the healing, the deliverance, and the freedom. You're going to start enjoying life, health, and happiness as you never have before. We're still in the decade of above and beyond. We have not yet. (laughs) Nothing has changed. So don't give up because life looks bleak. Don't give up because you see no hope on the horizon. Don't give up because you messed up again. The dawn is coming. Sing, daughter of Zion. Rejoice. Be exceeding glad. The third day after Jesus was crucified and buried, life must look pretty hopeless for his disciples. See, these were people that had left everything. They had left their business. They had left their family. They left their faith. These were people that were being ostracized by the temple of the day. Those Jesus followers. Can you imagine what they would all have been called? Their own families would often refuse to have anything to do with them because they had turned their back upon what they believed. You know, we say, well, well, that could never happen. That's still happening in many places of the world today. 
We've read many reports, many testimonies of people in India and certain places in Africa where the minute they accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, their family disowns them. They'll have nothing more to do with them. In fact, they are anathema, dead. There is no more life there. They can pass their own family members on the highway or on the roads in town. They won't see them. They're dead. They're done. Well, how is that possible? It's religion. But the third day, life looked pretty hopeless to his disciples. They had given up their business. They'd given up their reputations. Matthew had given up his tax-collecting status by now, probably. That's a lucrative offer. You can make a lot of money off those Romans. Everything had changed. Everything seemed to be lost. They had believed this itinerant preacher. When he had said that he was the Messiah, that he was the Son of God, they had believed him and they were ready to stake their life on the fact that he was the one that was sent from God, except they had watched him die like every other human being. Jesus was all man. He was all God, but he was all man. They had watched him die. Their hope was gone. They don't know what to do anymore. Can they pick up the pieces? Except Mary Magdalene and the other Mary are on their way to the grave while the other disciples are hiding in fear and in sorrow. It's a dark day. No ray of hope to be found. Their Messiah has died. Everything they believed in, everything that they had left everything for, was now lying in a cold, dark tomb. But something happened. The laws of God don't change. The earth continued to spin on its axis throughout the universe. And the time came where it made that final turn and the rays of the sun began to break through the darkness once more. Genesis 8.22 says, While the earth remains, day and night shall not cease. So the power of God's word remained undiminished. Morning always comes after the night. The light always breaks when it seems the darkest. (laughs) And this morning was no different. The sun begins to shine. The daybreak is coming. Everything is going to go on, except this morning was different. (laughs) Unlike the ordinary sunrise, that morning there was also a great earthquake as the angel of God descended from heaven and rolled away the stone that covered the tomb. The stone was not removed so that Jesus could get out, (laughs) but so that the disciples could get in. That stone wasn't rolled aside so that Jesus would be able to get out. Jesus already could pass through walls at this time. The stone was taken away so that the disciples could get in. The set time had fully come. Not only had the S-U-N risen, the S-O-N of God had also risen. Light had wiped away the darkness of sin, sickness, and death, just as surely as light had wiped away the darkness of the night. The devil's power of darkness was forever broken by Jesus Christ. Nothing could hold back the the dawn. Here comes the sun. He could not hold back the sun rising with healing in his wings. The enemy had been defeated. 
So the devil may be trying to hold back the dawn in your life. He may be trying to hold back the sun in your life, just as he tried to hold back the dawn for Jesus Christ. He may be trying to hold you in captivity, bound in the grave clothes of sickness, poverty, and sin. This morning, however, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to tell you that even Satan himself cannot hold back the dawn of the S-O-N. You are meant to tread upon the devil. According to Malachi 4.3, you are meant to make the ashes under the soles of your feet. Did we hear that right? Yes, we heard that right. Malachi 4.3. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day. Now that's not just destroying. That's pretty well annihilating. So I encourage you, keep your eyes single. Stop looking at your problems and start looking at the problem solver. You're going to start seeing a great dawning of the sun of righteousness as the sun of righteousness rises in your life. The darkness will flee. It will take all hopelessness with it. You're going to find healing and freedom in every area because Jesus lives. So today the choice is yours. You're the only one that can hold back the dawn in your life. No other power, no other circumstance, sin itself cannot stop the sunshine from shining on you. I am the only one that can make that decision in my life, and you are the only one that can determine if you're going to allow the power and the glory of God to rise in your life. All of your needs, spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially, or socially, were provided for you by Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So roughly 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ walked out of the tomb and the great dawning took place. Here comes the sun. It's time for you to walk out of the sorrow of darkness and into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. Each year we celebrate Jesus' resurrection on Easter. So this year let's remember what that great dawning means for each of us and let us choose to allow the sun to arise and to shine brightly in every area of our lives. Jesus spoke a parable. He says, no man lights a candle so he can put it under a bushel. The candle is meant to be set on the candle stand where it can be seen. You are the candle stand that may show the light of Jesus Christ to all the world. I read a couple of years ago, I read a prophecy that I received. And I found it again and I thought, you know, it's just as true today as it was when I first received it. While the church was going through some hard times, I began to get words sent to me from a fellow that was a prophetic ministry in Berlin. I didn't ask for them. He began to send them to me. They seemed to be exactly on the mark every time he sent me a word. And then as the things turned around, he quit sending them, so I don't know why. (laughs) I have never had contact with him other than his letters that he has sent But he would send these different words to me at different times. And it was like, to me, and I know I told Pastor Jerry a number of times, it's like this guy knows exactly what's going on. And he keeps sending these words from around the world. Pastor Matutis from Berlin. He writes, I was about to prepare, and like I said, I've read this one before, so if it sounds familiar, it is. But it's just as good as it was then. I was about to prepare my Easter sermon. I wonder why I read that now. The Lord's Spirit touched me and said, Take a blank piece of paper and write down what I say to you. I obeyed, and these are the words that the Lord's Spirit gave to me. 
My children, I want to give you a new spiritual awakening as a gift. That what I started on that Easter morning is what I now want to finalize with you. Like once upon a time when I overcame the tomb that was locked and sealed, and when I walked through closed doors to visit my disciples, that is how powerful I want to come to you. I want to lift up all my so discouraged disciples. I want to teach them anew, and I want to transfer my mission to them that I once was given to by my Father. My children, forget your failures, your guilt, and everything that once happened to you. I live, and you should be living too. Every negative issue of the past is disposed by my accomplished works. Now it is your turn to do my works. So forgive each other, encourage each other, serve each other, and accept one another, just like I accepted you. So long ago I have forgiven my Peter his failures, and have made right all that was wrong with him. Just like that I will now do the same for you. My child, you do not have to become desperate about your past failures. Get up. The time of my grace has dawned. The time of your healing and reconstruction has long come about. Your wounds have long since healed. You only have to rid yourself of the old bandage and plaster cast. You are fully healed by my wounds, says the Lord. So rid yourself of your images, your impressions, and your viewpoints of old. I am risen, says the Lord. A new age has dawned for you. You shall now receive a new image of me, of the world, and of yourself. The first is gone and belongs to the issues of past ages. There is no going back. Now my plan and my will is fulfilled, says the Lord. Nothing can prevent me from healing, from liberating, and from reconstructing you. Lo and behold, I want to turn my plan through you into reality. Since my resurrection, there is another program running, says the Lord. Now it's time to believe, to live, and to serve. And I myself am tendering the contracts of old that I have included with your faithful forefathers of ages past. Without exception, these contracts apply to you as well and shall determine entirely your future life. I myself will take care to fulfill with my whole power all that I ever promised once upon a time, the faithful of old that will become apparent and applied with you. Trust in me, says the Lord. So this morning, if you've been feeling like the circumstances of life have managed to bind you, if you have felt like your hope is gone, if past failures keep trying to bring guilt and shame, I would like to pray with you. We can join our faith together and we can demand freedom because the Son of Righteousness has risen with healing in His wings. That grave is empty. Let's leave it empty. That time has passed. Let's leave it past. Now I have often said so many people are so hung up, so held back, not because of where they are today, but what happened before. If that's been holding on to you, I'd like you to come up here. We're going to anoint you with oil. We're going to pray a prayer of faith. And we're going to agree for freedom on you. Just come on up.